This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest this week was Dave Camposano. Dave has been on the show now three times. Um, I guess that would probably make you ask why. <laughs> and I guess the easiest answer is, well, there's a glib answer and there's a less glib answer. The glib answer is... Um, Dave is going to be part of our Savage Wonderground ghost story event on Halloween in Boston. Yes, you can get tickets. Well, you can't get tickets, not a ticketed event, but you can RSVP to get on the guest list at savagewonder.com. But I digress. Well, actually, I don't digress. That's actually the glib reason why um, it made a lot of sense for Dave to be on the show. But there's a less glib reason, and that is because Dave, as an Army veteran, combat veteran, um, who has started his own nonprofit, 22 Mohawks. Dave has grown really exponentially year over year. And he and I, as I think I say in the interview, he and I started our nonprofits at about the same time. So um, when I was starting Veterans Repertory Theater, he was uh, starting 22 Mohawks. And it's really interesting to see uh, his growth. I think the unstated message behind this, if there is one, is that there, um, and this is something I talk with Dave a lot about, and it's because I trust Dave and I've, Dave is somebody that um, really does walk the walk. He just has a lot of credibility in the space and, um, and I've seen the work that he's put in to growing his organization. And, and, and I know exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Um, the story of him losing touch with a former subordinate of his who ended up killing himself uh, is one that, you know, has haunted Dave and led him to start 22 Mohawks. And so Dave is as righteous as they come in this space. And he and I have always really had, I think we kind of bonded over having frank conversations, um, especially about delicate subjects. Um, like 
veteran suicide um, and PTS and all the rest of it. And it's a space that I am always wary of. And I, I won't spoil it for you guys. Dave and I will talk about it a bunch in the interview. But it's one of the reasons that I wanted to have Dave on is because I like I like talking with somebody that's in that space that can kind of out some of the bullshit that you see and kind of, um, you know, it's not like Dave has all the answers. It's just, you know, he's open to having a frank conversation and thinking things through. And uh, I just feel like there's a lot of easy answers in the veteran suicide space. And the easy answer often is, ah, you know, what can you do? It's just, it's, it's hell. It's, oh, they need support. We need to honor our veterans more. It's kind of some boilerplate. And when every Tom, Dick, and Harry seems like they're starting their own veteran suicide awareness, suicide prevention nonprofit, um, it's always I, I always find it valuable to touch base with Dave about why he started his, how that's going, the mechanics of it, the X's and O's. And I'll just say that, you know, for all of you listening, I mean, when you start to talk about nonprofits and gauge which ones are worth supporting and which ones are um are worth emotionally investing in um, or God forbid utilizing yourself. Um, I think it's, uh, it's really important to vet them based on the X's nose on the details, not their top line stated mission, because that can start to sound generic. You know, it's all derivations of the same thing. If you're all dealing with the same problem set, there's not going to be a lot of differentiators there. The differentiation in the nonprofit space, especially with something in in as critical as veteran suicide or PTS or anything else like like in that realm, is the X's nose. It is the details. It is the mechanics of how do they actually go about doing this. Um, you know, how do they help? What specifically does that mean? Where does where exactly does the funding go? How exactly do you access help or care and what avenues are open to you and what's the sustainability of those avenues and what's the persistence of those? How much are people going to continually help me or are they just pawning me off on a greater catch-all, a greater safety net that's there? So um, I'm very, I, I just have a natural hesitancy towards nonprofits that are tackling problems that people don't really want to look at because when a nonprofit is in that space and people don't really want to examine how the nonprofit does what it does um, because the subject matter is too icky or too problematic or too um, depressing for people to look into, that tends to give way, not always, of course, but it tends to give way to fraud, you know, waste, fraud, and abuse kind of stuff. Tends to. And I'm not going to name anybody. You guys can Google and see all the different organizations that I've got hemmed up um, in the waste, fraud, and abuse. But it tends to happen when you're dealing with a subject that nobody has the stomach to look into in depth and look at the X's and O's and look at the details. So I thought it was valuable to sit down with Dave and kind of go over some of that on top of which he's just one of my favorite folks and I love sitting down bullshitting with him and we don't get to do it uh, very much and incredibly rarely in person. So um, anyway, it was great to do that. And yes, he is also a very talented writer and will be with us 
at Savage Wonderground Ghost Story in Boston on Halloween for the best party in Boston. So go check out those tickets, savagewonder.com, savagewonder.com. You can get tickets there. Or sorry, not tech, I can't stop saying it. It's not tickets. It's just you can RSVP to get on the guest list. It's a free, free RSVP. Open bar, three floors of cool, immersive art performance stuff. Spooky. It'll be cool. It'll be really, really badass. Anyway, you should come if you're in the Boston area. All right. Without further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Dave Camposano's third profile in Havoc. Dave Camposano, welcome back for the third time. Chris, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Really good to be on as always. Well, it's great to have you on, man, because I feel like, I mean, I think I've said, I probably said this the second time you were on, but it's even more true now the third time you're on that you and I, I think sort of started our ventures at a roughly the same time and checking in with you like every year ish to see like the exponential growth that you've had. It's just very fucking cool. So uh, it's always really nice to touch base and just see how much is going on with you guys. Um, I'm going to segue that compliment into a question. Do you yeah. feel like you're growing exponentially? Yes. Yes. And it's funny because I'm going to reciprocate that same comment, for, like watching with, you know, all the things that you've done and watching you. It's almost like watching you, you know tells me how old I am because I like keep watching you grow and it's like watching your baby. Wow. Chris is growing and I'm like, geez, I'm getting old, man. Oh God. No, I know. Well, listen, but the nice thing is like it really hasn't been that long. Like in the overall scheme of things, like this no. is a pretty quick flash to bang for you, certainly. Um for me, I mean, I guess somewhat. But yeah, definitely, I mean, moving into a actual brick and mortar dedicated building, it's a big fucking deal, man. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, it was a big leap for us. We we managed to kind of track the finances on the dog program, and we switched some things around, and we were able to like have the extra capital to be able to do it. Um, and like when we, you think back to like like the VFW and how that whole thing was like created with like Vietnam era guys, yeah. like, have a place to go and like drink with your buddies and not get like verbally assaulted by like the you know local community. We're trying to like almost have something similar, but like to date right because like you walk into any bfw or legion and it's like it's like i love the feeling there like it's awesome it's like vintage style and then like it's all like these old times and they're like hey man you got to bring in some of your young boys because you know it's almost like we're like phasing out and it's it sucks in a sense um but like we're trying to like recreate that a little bit like you know um, that that's a really interesting point though you know because like all those the legion the vfw all those things i mean i think those were all like world war one era organizations right and I've wondered for the GWAT generation why we haven't fallen in on them. Like there were existing infrastructure. Why didn't we fall in? By we, I mean, I'm not just saying you or just me, but we yeah. as a generation, like, I mean, obviously a lot of people have joined VFW. I'm a Legion member and all that. Sure. But yeah. we, why has there been this motivation to start our own things? Why did you go your own way? As opposed to going, hey, let me go join the Legion or VFW and make this a line of effort inside the VFW. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. I think like for us, like with the dog program and then like with parachuting, um, we just kind of went that direction for like like excitement and purpose. Whereas yeah. like 
to me, like I could be way off, but like when I think of like the VFW or the Legion, it's like, all right, we'll go in there in the morning and have coffee and donuts, or we'll go there right. at night and like drink beer with our buddies. Right. Cause like, I feel like the GWAT folks, like don't, it's not like their purpose, right? They want to like go hiking or do rock marches or I don't skydive, yeah. you know, like, I feel like we are like a different group. Like, you know, what the big <clears throat> thing is we, um, one of the local gaming veteran gaming focused nonprofits, um, their lease ran up in their building and uh, great guys, great guys, their lease ran up and they called us cause there's going to be like a good month or so where they don't have a building. So they asked if they could use our facility for like a couple nights to like run their gaming stuff. Um, and I was like, absolutely bring it in. So like even gaming is like a huge deal within the veteran community. Um, so it's like, yep, bring it in. Shit, come in every week if you want, even after, you know? It's so it's so interesting that like these big and I'm I'm digressing a little bit, but I mean those did these big veteran oriented organizations that have been around, had all this legacy, had all this head start. No people aren't drawn to it, go to them. We're drawn to do to start something fresh. And there's some entrepreneurial spirit. Or something, and I'm wondering. I'm totally spitballing on this. I'm wondering how much it is because we weren't drafted. I'm wondering yeah. how much it was. It was like, hey, no, we go far. I want to go our own way. We're not trying to fall in on something else. We're trying to go build. So, like, there's a there's an entrepreneurial motivation that we have. It's like when we get out, it's like yeah. unleashed. Like, hey, I got to go fucking do my own thing now, and I want to create yeah. something because I got a vision. But we don't think about going, hey, let me go improve the VFW. Let me improve the American Legion. Let me adapt it right. and move that infrastructure around. You know what I mean? It's weird. Yeah. You know, it's funny too. You bring that up because like when you think I could, I think I'm almost like a shame saying that I didn't know this until this year, but um, during Vietnam, when those guys were drafted, they'd go to boot camp, they'd go to um, infantry school and then they'd deploy as an individual soldier. So like individual men and women would deploy alone. Right. So then you get to Vietnam and then you get inserted into a new platoon or unit. And then you have to like, you know, earn your respect again with a new unit yeah, right yeah like yeah. the gwat folks we all like we went to basic together a handful of us went to you know 82nd together or you know third idea wherever you went together you trained together and then you deployed together right um it's where so i did that like, wasn't my experience but but yeah i i was always a singleton but i, I was a weirdo okay so yeah but yeah. but but no i think i think there is something to that yeah but i'm trying to think yeah i guess that's right because I guess that's right. They were like one for one swaps all the time in Vietnam, right? That was yeah, kind of the way they always right. did it. Yeah. So like maybe like like during that time they'd be like, "Hey, I got to go find someone or something." So they would go to the VFWs alone, really, and they didn't really know how to grow it or whatever. That was like their own yeah. thing. And now we have each other, right? Um, like I know I could call Chris. Like there's we can bounce ideas off each other. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just spitballing as well. But. No, it's weird. I know. I. I, I yeah. I hadn't really thought this through before, but it's one of those things I was like, yeah, that's it's weird that we that we don't do it. I guess to jump way ahead, and then I want to get back to the, your new HQ. When you think about how long the VFW and the Legion have been around, do you see that for 22 Mohawks? Do you think 100 years there's 22 Mohawks? Yeah, I think so. Like in, in my like my crazy mind, I'm like, we're going to like revolutionize this this setup, right? We're going to like turn this into like, the go-to for all veterans like last night we so we just did a contract with uh warrior yoga um, i saw that yeah yeah for 10 weeks they're going to come in here and they're going to do yoga once a week last night was our first class we had five people show up and they were the, the instructor was like that's huge some places only have like one you had yeah. five um 
And it was like different age groups. So it was like GWAC guys. It was some firefighter, first responders, and then mm-hmm. some just like local vets. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like really cool. So like we, we have that like mind body, like yoga stuff, which I think is really cool. Maybe people knock it. I don't know, but it's like really good mm-hmm. for the body. Yeah. Like yeah. Relaxing, you know, it's almost like body massage to yourself, right? You're just yeah. like doing all this stuff. Um, I feel like that's, that will sustain itself. Like people will want to do that for a long time. Um, and then like dogs aren't going anywhere. So it's like that core service that we provide, like people want dogs, right? Like veterans are getting out of service all the time. People are going in, people are coming out. They know they can come to us to get a dog. So that'll just be like our, our framework, like our model. It's like, Hey, we're just going to go to 22 mocks. And I mean, people from all over the country call us like, can you get us a dog? And we just source it, whatever state they're in, we get them a dog, we pay for their dog, we pay for their training. Um, like someone called me in Georgia the other day and they were like, can you get me a dog? And I was like, how the hell did you hear about us? And they're like, oh, I was in this like meeting with Wounded Warrior Project and one of the instructors like mentioned you. And I was like, amazing. Um, and then we do like our retreats, right? So if you look at any like nonprofit other than like Wounded Warrior who like does like everything, um, the retreats with like the mental health and relationship stuff, like is really, really important. Right. Like once you've identified like, Hey, I need to figure out my relationships. Like for me, that's the hardest part for me. Like my relationships suffer just because I'm all like, I have like no emotion or or empathy towards shit. I'm like, just toughen up kind of deal. Right. Um, My relationships suffer. So, you know, other people's relationships are suffering. So like the whole airborne parachuting retreat thought, right. It's like, let's go do something badass, but at the same time, we'll do yoga down there. We'll do mental health coaching. Um, and then we'll all hug each other because it's like, hey, like we'll brought it up, bring it in for a real thing. It's almost like a good, good medicine, a good combination of things. So I, I do think. Sorry to be long winded, but no, I, that's I, no, that's that's actually really interesting because it's like there's a gateway. You're doing all this. It's just it's it's basically like a, it's like we're all parents trying to get the Cheerios into the kid's mouth, and it's like, okay, what does it have to be a choo choo? Does it have to be an airplane? How are we gonna get yeah. this food in your mouth? And sometimes it takes that kinetic experience of like, hey, you're gonna be jumping today and that's the thing that opens you up then and puts you in that emotional state where you're ready to hear other things right it yeah yeah because like they don't jump until wednesday right so there's two days of like ground school yeah and then they jump wednesday and after they jump the first time it just changes everyone everyone's like this is amazing and like it yeah. just it's just like a good thing but yeah i think it'll i think it'll be around for a long time um i'm, I'm kind of shocked it's it's not people aren't trying to like replicate it you know um I, do you have competition that way or do you even see it as competition? Like w- w- no, what else is going on no. in the space? So like I get up in front of all the classes and I speak, I tell like the story. Right. And I was like, if, I, I say like, if you ever wanted to start a 501c3 and do this and give dogs and teach classes, I will tell you from step one all the way down to your up and running, how to do everything. Like I will consult for you um, because it's not about money. It's about suicide prevention. And like, I, like I will always lean on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people are like, how do you fundraise for this? Like, how do you do it? And it's like any other job you show up every day. Like we're obviously we're not, we're not doing it for money, but you know, you go to work, right. you show up every day, you work hard, you do the right thing. The money will come in because people will see that and they want to give to a cause that's good. And then like, everybody loves dogs. Um, not everybody loves vets, but you know, some of us are pretty cool. Um, and, even you know, vets like don't have us like vets. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what, but yeah. what a, is anybody taking a salary yet? Um, no, nope. So we wow. we pay our trainers, right? So our, our trainers get paid, and then we have two admin personnel that we that we pay, and they work like a couple days a week. 
Um, but like the senior people don't, we don't take salaries yet now. Nope. Do you anticipate taking a salary? Do you anticipate this becoming a full-time job? Yeah. So I've actually like thought about it this year, um, like going into next year. Like I was thinking about like stopping my main job, which is finance wow. yeah. and just like doing this full-time. So, um, quick story, a, a girl who I worked with, so I worked for Northwestern Mutual. I've been there for four years. Um, a girl worked there doing what I was doing. And her dad ran home for veterans in New York and he passed away and she had always like dabbled in it and stuff, but she made the decision to leave the finance world, which pays very well. Yeah. Um, right. Right. And she's like, yep. I dove into, into the nonprofit vet, uh, house homes for vets. Um, so I called her and I was like, I'm thinking about kind of doing the same thing. What are your thoughts? And she's like, well, you know, I saved up enough money to live for a year. And the goal was to have everything coming in within a year. Um, so if you can do that, you should do it because if you're like dialing for finance or like sitting in meetings for finance, it's going to take a lot away from the stuff that you could be doing with the nonprofit, right? So if you're dialing for finance, dial for your nonprofit. Um, you know what I mean? Or like yeah. consult for the nonprofit. You won't be spending time consulting for finance, you know? So um, I seriously considered doing it, in which case I'd yeah. have to take, I'd have to take something. And she also yeah, pointed right. out, she pointed out that when you, um, try to get grants. Like we haven't got any grants yet. We're actually kind of diving into that. Wow. She said, when you, when you, when you um, apply for grants, they want to see that someone is taking at least a small salary because they want to know that someone's working every day. And if you're not taking a salary, how do they know like you're really, you know, doing it? I mean, obviously the work we do is sure. clear. It's there, sure. yeah. but it doesn't make sense. Right. And people are like, it gives people a bad taste. Like, Oh, you, you take a salary in a nonprofit, but it's like, well, it's, it's work, right? You, sh you should get compensated for it, you know? So two things, then if, if you start taking a salary by the nature of taking a salary, don't you automatically go into competition with other nonprofits where it's like, Hey, this is now my livelihood. So yeah, I can help you build up your dog based veteran 501c3, but motherfucker like hey, really you're gonna do this in newton and i'm right here like like i mean right i mean because right. there's gonna become a little bit of territorialism yeah i'm just thinking yeah, how I, mean, I would think of it you know that's a really good point um and, it, and it's funny because like I, I don't know how it looks from the outside but maybe it looks like oh like they gave another dog again or they're they're parachuting out of planes again right it may look like easy from like the instagram people right, right? like oh right. that looks easy look at what they're doing i could do that but the thing is, is like, we're talking to people all day long. Right. We're going to events all day long. Um, we're like taking calls from people who are pissed off about X, Y, Z. We're taking calls that are people in crisis every day. Like people are leaning on us very, very hard daily. Um, and it's like mind blowing how stressful it is. Yeah. And um, you still there, Chris? Did I, lose you? I am. No, um, no, I'm good. And, and how much actually work like really goes into it. And we, we've had a couple of people like come in and then like kind of go off and try to do their own thing. And like, they're doing it, but not nearly to the capacity that we are. And I'm not saying that to be like, Hey, we're awesome. Um, I think, I think we are, but what I'm saying is like, I don't think people actually realize how much actually goes on on the back end. Um, so like for competition, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think taking a salary, it's like, shoot, that's my food in my mouth. That's right. my lights and my rent. Like, damn, right. I want to make sure I'm, I'm being competitive. Um, but I would actually, I would love to see it, it happen. Like I would love to see, cause I don't, I don't know if there's any other nonprofits out there that do canine good citizen dogs and parachute out of planes. I think we're like the only one out there. If there is, 
I'd love to shake somebody's hand because I think it's pretty cool. And I, we didn't design it that way. We just were like, this is good stuff. Um, and we want to do it. And, uh, and here we are, you know? So as one nonprofit founder to another, um, my experience has been that the nonprofit space, unlike the for-profit space, like if you're going to open a pizza place, okay, you sell good pizza. You worry about your price point. You're here to sell slices. That's the metric that you go by. But with the nonprofit space, it seems to me like there's a conversation that has to be had with your audience. And sometimes the mission changes and sometimes the lines of effort change because you're trying to be responsive and going, oh, wait, there's a gap here. And I wouldn't have known this until I started interacting and doing my mission. And now I go, oh, shit, I got to cover down on this thing, too, and this thing, too, that I didn't anticipate initially. Is that what's kind of happening with you guys, too? Because when we're suddenly there's yoga, you got the jumping like that wasn't something you initially planned to do. Um, you've got, you know, all the different challenges that you're doing, all that stuff. I mean, you didn't dev all that out, like sitting in your room, like you did that because the community was kind of demanding something more, right? Yeah. Like we, we adapted to it. So like theoretically, right. There's a few things that will trigger like suicide thoughts, right. Um, you know, uh, loss of a job. So financial distress, uh, relationship stuff, um, you know, booze or drugs will cause stuff. Um, there's just a, a bunch of different things that will, that will cause that. So we kind of focused on those things, right? So like we do financial classes, right? To kind of stay ahead of the game so that that's know their finances. So if they do come under duress, they followed our, our guidance and have saved, right? Um, with the relationship stuff, we have like our mental health team that does like one-on-one group stuff. So that, that it's, you know, the re- relationship or, um, you know, empathy building right. portion of it. But you didn't um, initially conceive all that, right? Initially, you were like, hey, let's start with, let's just do dogs, right? And then everything started to grow from that, right? It was, yes, yeah, so it was actually the first thing we did was a um, a tandem parachute jump. So that was going to be like my one year giving back to the veteran community tandem parachute jump. And it would kick off Suicide um, Awareness and Prevention Month, which was September on the day before Labor Day, right? So I'm like, I'm going to fucking do a mohawk and I'm going to, invite all these people to do this jump. I'm going to fund it. Dave's going to fund it out of his pocket and give back to the community and hopefully prevent suicide. And, um, and that was just a massive success. Um, just p- so many people started registering for it. Cause it's a lottery. We like pull names to make it yeah, fair. Yeah, right. for budget purposes. It's like if a hundred people signed up, Dave's not going to be able to pay, you know? Right. Right. Um, so we kept it like a 10 now it's at 20 and that was like a huge success. So I'm like, well, I'm going to do this every year. Let's create a website. But if I'm going to create a website, let's do something else. So, like, I love my dog. My dog's, like, the best. Um, so, I'm like, all right, well, let's do dogs. So, I put, like, a description of a dog um, company on there. Like, hey, yeah, we'll get you dogs. We'll get you training, blah, blah, blah. And, like, the day after we launched, we got a call from someone saying, hey, I, I need a dog. Like, I'm not going to make it to the winter alone. And I was like, holy shit. Like, what am I going to do? And I just drove to the yeah. local shelter, bought two dogs because, you know, one is none, two is one. Right. drove it to the kid, gave him the dog. And then that just like changed everything. Right. I think I've told you the story before. Um, and then that just led us to like all these calls, all these people wanting dogs, which group training. Then we met Iman and then Iman introduced us to Dave Kraz. Dave Kraz introduced us to Graham Jones at X 35 airborne school. Got us in, they, they gave us a huge deal on our first, first one. It it cost us almost nothing. And that parachute, Thing in Florida through Graham yeah. Jones X35 just now is like turned into this very big thing. Like it's not just jumping anymore. Like we have mental health and yoga and the vet center comes in. We talk about, uh, we do surveys and stuff to get people's um, 
you know, sentiment on suicide ideation and stuff. And then we'll do another one in six months. So we're trying to like gather data too and have like a a force for data, like evidence-based facts on the parachuting and how it like the adrenaline focused activities actually like um, can prevent, you know, anxiety and depression in the short term. You know, we're trying to like really build on that evidence. What what Um, does that metric look like? How do, what kind of data can you collect that can further uh, that concept? Yeah. So it's, it's like so hard. Like, so like in a, in yeah. a for-profit, right. It's like you measure your success by revenue, right? Yeah. It's like, Oh, yeah. it was 10% better this year right. for us. It's like so hard to measure. Like, how, did we prevent suicide other than a crisis call? We get that person to the hospital. We know we just prevented a suicide, right? Like right. other than that, right. how do you, how do you um, measure it? Um, but you know, what we do is, is we, for the jump, I'll use a jump specifically. We have them fill out a survey in the beginning on how they feel then at the end, and then we compare, okay. and I'm going to do another one six months later to see if like symptoms have come back. So the majority of people like will say like, yep, I've thought about suicide or some people have even had attempts. Um, and then their testimonial at the end of the course is like, this changed my life. I've been reborn. You know, I, I've connected with my veteran brothers again, and this changed my life. And you'll see like half of these guys, like one of the guys is opening up his VFW to give dogs 422 Mohawks. Right. Wow. So like, wow. it like, it like, it's almost like contagious that people want to like be part of it. Um, but to answer your question, like the measurement is really like the testimonial from someone. Um, so if we can compare in six months from their first and second surveys, like, Hey, I've been doing so much better. I have my group of airborne guys that I jumped with that I talked to every month and they're keeping me on track. And when I get boo-boo lipped, you know, I call Graham Jones from X35 and like, my life is good. Then we know that we can count that as, as a win, right? How, how much, how much is it also the volume of people, the volume of applications, the volume of folks that reach out to you? Is that kind of a good metric? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you mean specific to like the airborne thing or just in general? Oh, well, in, in general, but, but certainly with the airborne thing, but even for each of your lines of effort, like if, if two people were calling every year about the airborne thing, you might go, okay, that shot the bed. That's not working. But yep. if it's like, Hey shit, we are having to grow this. It was 10 guys. Now it's up to 20. We're getting 150, 300 applications a year. And then on top of, we have the dogs, our call volume has increased this much. That's kind of your metric then, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's just another way to measure it too, like the growth, the growth yeah. side of the house, right? Do you um, see that? Definitely. Do you have those numbers? Do you do you capture those numbers? Yeah. So I'll t- so the the airborne thing. So this will be our fourth course. We're doing it again in February. This will be our fourth one, fourth rotation. Um, the day after we open up registration, the day after the course, we open registration, and this course we got like eighteen. The next day. And then every day we're getting two or three more registrations. So right now we're almost like over a hundred people that have registered for the next course. Wow. wow. <laughs> it's, and it went from like 10 to like 30 sure. to this last one. And we had like a backlog of 40 and now we're like over a hundred and we just keep getting more. Um, and the course can be up to 25, I believe in the course. So we could call okay. 25. We, we limit it to 20 for budgetary purposes. Sure. Um, but we're actually working on grants now to get these courses funded through grants um, because it's just so impactful. Um, but wow. yeah, it's, it's, it's growing significantly. So, but that, w- that kind of turned my head on to like, let's get data from these, these vets yeah. Yeah. with how they're feeling. So then we can like write about it yeah. and actually have data points that can prove that this is working 
and like maybe present to fucking the DOD or the Department of Veterans Affairs and be like, hey, listen, give us some fucking money so we can do this because your shit's not working. And it's starting to piss a lot of people off. We know you have billions of dollars and stop putting restrictions on this money. There's like, I, I get really mad, Chris, when I talk about this, but like, there's the Sergeant Fox grant that's like 750K. Yeah. yeah. And it like, they put so many restrictions on people for that. And it's like, just give me the money and I'll show you the data. You know why? And I get this paperwork and stuff, but, yeah. and I know it's not easy, but it should be. No, it's fine. We actually got uh, someone from the Sergeant Fox program reached out to us to see if they could do, uh, if we could hold our acting and writing classes as therapy under the Sergeant Fox and they could send us people. But the catch was under Sergeant Fox that they have to have, uh, they have a, some sort of um, a grading system. And the person, I forget if there's there are one or a two, but they have to grade as whatever the one is that says they are an imminent risk for suicide. So if they don't say that, then they don't qualify for Sergeant Fox. And fortunately, we had our own scholarship program, so we could still do with people. But we ended up getting zero people that qualified as Sergeant Fox. But we were running the programs. It was just they didn't qualify because they didn't answer their questions correctly. Like they weren't high enough risk, which I mean. I, I don't know what the questions are. I didn't look into it that deeply, but I was like, okay, fine. I mean, we're not an art therapy organization. I was just like, hey, we're right. doing these. Cl-. And I told him, I was like, we're not therapeutic. I was like, but you can absolutely piggyback on us and send us people. And yeah. if it helps your your grant and allows you to re-up it every year, then great. But that that was the problem is that whatever their questions were, yeah, they didn't qualify enough for it. So it was like, okay, well, that that I think creates that gap. Where yeah. organizations like yours can thrive because it's like whatever the official DOD response is, is only going to capture a certain pie slice and you That's can right. capture a lot of other folks, right? Yep. Yeah. And you're the second person that said that to me with the Sergeant Fox. Like they wanted you to answer a question a certain way or yeah. guide the person to answer it that way. And like the organization right. I was talking to was like, we're just not going to do that. Well, and what, not- yeah. And what a, what a perverse incentive structure too. It's yeah. like, so for the veteran, in order to get well, I have to come in. And if I've been fighting mentally to keep sanity or to keep myself together, I've got to come in and let it all hang out so I can get the scholarship to now go get healthy. Yeah. And then if I, the healthier I get, the less help you're going to give me. It's just, it's just a pervert. You're creating incentive structures that are in conflict with each other. And exactly. I think that's where something that's a little bit more liberal as far as giving out the benefits really you know, captures guys because they don't they don't have to come in and prove anything to you, right? I mean, right. we talked about this before, but remind people what's your screening process for people to get support from you? Yeah, so like for to get a dog, they have to go through. Um, they have to do like a standard application. They have to send us their rating, right? So we have to see their rating. Um, once they've made it through that, they have to sit in a finance class that I teach, to, and we talk about how much it costs to you know, have a dog every year. Massachusetts was like second highest. We're in Massachusetts. Um, it was like 2,600 bucks to have a dog in Massachusetts every year. I think we're second to Delaware or something. So we talk about those numbers and I just run them through like a budgetary process to make sure that they can't afford it. Um, once they get blessed up on that, then they go and do like a mental health screen. So what happens is like, since we do stuff like out of state, we don't, we're not like, they're not, they can't knock on our door. We can't knock on their door. So we have to kind of test their mental stability so like a lot of guys will get dogs even in massachusetts and they're like wow this dog is causing me so much stress i need to give it back so obviously we take the dog back right but we don't want that to happen right and 
Um, so we need to test them and let them know like, Hey, when you get a puppy, it's going to take six months for this puppy to grow. And a lot of them just get so stressed out. They have to give it back. So we sit and they sit in a mental health screen so we can understand them and let them know, Hey, this is going to be part of it. But in the long run, it will be better for you once you go through training. Um, so there's that once wow. they clear that, then we can get them a dog and get them set up with training. So it's, it's kind oh. of a, no, sorry, go ahead. yeah, no, that is an intense process. How, how often do you get a, somebody that can't handle the dog? And I sort of give it back up. We've given 95 dogs as of this month um, since we started. And there's been like seven dogs that have come back. Okay. Um, some of those people have given dogs back. We, we've given them another dog just because that particular dog didn't work for them. Oh, okay. Um, we still count it though. Um, but yeah, there's probably about seven dogs that have come back. And I, and I talked to local um, um, rescues and they're like, you've only received seven dogs back out of that many we're like yeah, yeah that seems horrible they're like no that's like amazing yeah. like it's usually like 50 percent wow like, oh, okay we're doing something right which is good yeah i mean you definitely are doing something right and i mean the proof is in the pudding i mean so talk about what the decision points were to get your headquarters up and running what how did all that come about where had you been looking for was this already a point in time that you were looking for it or was it a happy accident that it all occurred what was the process of getting that up I always had like the vision of having like our own building, right? Just so we had a place we can go to where vets can come in, we can chit chat, they can lean on us so we can give dogs, you know, they can, you know, hang out if they want, do nothing. Yeah. Um, and we had partnered with um, a local um, dog. They, they would get us the dogs, this company, and they would train the dogs for us for a fee, right? So it was like one fee for the dog um, and that would cover it. And then they would train the dog for life if they needed it. Um, and the, I, I can't remember what the fee was, it was probably like 25 or somewhere between 25 and three grand for the dog. Well, after like doing a ton of research and realizing like, well, we can, if we get a dog from a rescue, right, it's like somewhere between four to 600 bucks for the dog. And then if we hire our own trainers, you know, we can do it for, um, way less than that. So I kind of did the math, did a budget and, um, realized that, Hey, we can save a ton of money if we do this all in house. Wow. And, um, it worked out that we had enough money to do, to get our own building. Um, and we actually needed to get our own building if we wanted to have like in-house training. So it, it kind of just, it made sense to do it this way. Um, but it almost, we actually still save money by not using that, that organization. We had budgeted that way and we, you know, we had the money to do it. So, you know, here we are. Um, did yeah. you own the building or are you, renting? I don't own the building. Nope. nope. We okay. actually, we rent it. We're renting now from a, like a corporate, like there's a dentist office in here. There's a school okay. for like autistic kids in here, which is cool. Cause like we can like bring our therapy dogs over. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, but it's like, you walk in and you're like, Oh, there's like a dog kennel in here, but we're actually not a kennel. We just like bring dogs in and out and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's a really, really nice place for sure. And do, you have, and do you have cages? Do you have like, or what do you have for the dogs there? Yeah, we have um, we have impact crates. So get this. So when we first got the building, I bought like five impact crates for the organization. They're really, really they're like Gucci dog crates. Okay. Um, and one of the girls on our team, Kylie, she had uh, after we moved in the building, she had applied to this raffle to win like twenty five thousand dollars worth of impact crates, and she won. And, yeah, and we ended up getting we ended up getting twenty five of these like Gucci impact crates, Holy which shit. are like a thousand bucks a piece. Um, wow. yeah. So, so it's crazy. So like if somebody really needs a crate or if somebody gets a big dog, we give them the crate. Um, but typically we'll just like raffle it off or like, 
bring it to an event so people can see, but they're like wicked, wicked, nice crates. Yeah. Wow. And then, so do the dogs stay there? Are they in the office all the time? And then you guys come in every morning. Is that basically how that works? Nope. So we have like, um, so we're getting three dogs this week and they'll just, we'll get them, we'll sign them in and then we'll bring them right out to fosters. So the dogs will go directly to foster. So they always have somebody that they can be with to take them out and stuff. So there's um, no, no dogs, dogs hanging out in the refer in the office, like all the nope. time. Okay. Nope. Yeah. No dogs hang out here. Other than my dog, I have my dog with me. Right. Um, right. And like, the, you know, our, our staff can bring in their dogs if they want. How often are you still answering phones from people calling in needing help? Daily. I got three calls on Monday um, from people. And believe it or not, it's not the actual person themselves. It's the people's families reaching out, just asking me for like advice and guidance on what to do. Um, and obviously I, I, I offer to call them and basically how it goes is they say no at first. And then, you know, like this morning I got a call. Hey, yeah, I think it's time you can call them now. Um, and it's, it's the same story. Like I, I can, it happens so often now that I know what the person's MOS is by what they're talking about. Like, huh. Like they'll say like, um, yeah, my, my nephew's saying, you know, I should have died with them. I, I, I can't believe I'm still here. Like I'm not, you know, I shouldn't even be alive. I'm not worth it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this shit. And it's like, yep, yeah, that person was combat arms, infantry somewhere, lost some dudes. And it's just, you know, have this massive moral injury that, you know, he didn't die with his, with his boys, you know? Right. And that happens a lot, a lot. That same story. Are you the only one that takes those calls or does, does everybody on the 22 Mohawks team have some ability to answer calls? Yeah. So, um, everyone on the team has the ability to answer calls. Um, oddly enough, my phone is usually the one that rings when that happens. Um, or, or I just happen to answer it when that's happening. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. And this is a testament to how our dog program is not just a dog, right? So the way that it, so for me, my dog is like my purpose, right? Like no matter what happens during the day, I can look at my dog. My dog looks at me and it's like, he just makes it cool, right? Um, yep. So like we'll give somebody a dog, um, they'll sign a contract basically saying that they have to attend um, one Sunday per month group training. Um, for a year and the dog is ours. So if we see that the dog is looking abused or neglected, we'll take the dog back. Um, and so they sign that contract. Now the the purpose for the group training is like, Hey, we get to see the veteran. We get to see if the veterans in good shape, ask the veteran if the veterans in good shape. And we get to see if the dog's taken care of because the dog's not being taken care of and the vet's probably not being taken care of. And we need to, mm -hmm. you know, check into yeah. that. So it's almost like an accountability thing. Um, and then we reach out to our guys with dogs all the time, right? Like, How's training going? How's your dog doing? How are you doing? So like we built, we build relationships with, with our veterans. Like they literally are like our family um, for the most part. It's like 90% of them we talk to on a regular basis. And this is, um, this is 95 people that you've given dogs to. So that's 95 people that you have ongoing phone calls. Ongoing conversations. Yep. Yep. And forget about the people um, that haven't gotten dogs that are just calling for mental health. This is just the people with dogs alone. Just the that's people 95 dogs. people. Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, so Recently, I got a phone call. It was like one in the morning and it was one of my vets. And I'm like, God damn it. Like it, it always happens right at the worst time. And, and yeah. that's what it will be. It'll be like the worst time. So I answered it and he was clearly under duress. He was in, in tears, you know, wanting to die. He was ready to, you know, 
go take his own life basically. And um, so I was on the phone with him and obviously, you know, you, you kind of persuade, right. It's like, well, well, where's Fido? Where's your dog? And he's like, yeah, my dog's, he's right there. He's fed. He's good to go. He's like, that's one of the reasons why I'm calling you Dave is because, you know, I want to make sure that he's going to be taken care of after I die. Right. Like I don't want anything to happen to my dog. Obviously. Um, it's the only thing that this person takes care of. So I'm like, yeah, of course, of course we'll take care of your dog, but we want to take care of you too. So, you know, we have a long conversation. The dude goes in and out of like, you know, crying and, and just like telling stories of just like moral injuries and bad stuff. Finally, you know, we, we talk him to get on an ambulance. Ambulance comes, talks to the paramedic, gets in an ambulance, and then you know they, they take him to the emergency room hospital. Next day, we go get his dog. And then every day he's at the hospital, they allow him to make a phone call. He calls us to check on his dog, right? So the fact that we gave this person a dog, he goes to training. He knows that he can call Dave, Stacy, or anybody on the team um, to come take care of his dog if he wants to take his own life is, is huge. Um, so he calls us and then we, you know, we question him, we persuade him, and then we refer him out. And essentially that's, you know, we save that person's life by doing that. So the dog program, it's not just getting a dog. It's, it's about accountability. It's, it's about the family thing. And, and I'm not like on my high horse here. It's just, it just turned into this like really important thing that we do. It's not just, Hey, here's a dog and, and have a good right. life kind of do, right. you know, um, what do you, how do you structure your day in order to be able to handle that kind of volume and be able to drop everything and have several hour long conversation if need be with somebody. Yeah. So like, like my, my day job, I, I usually do all my work between like six and nine in the morning. I like get it all knocked out. And then I try to structure my day around um, like financial appointments, which I try to schedule on Thursdays and Fridays. Um, but like, if I was to get a call, during the day, like before, like a, a meeting, I would just have to reschedule a meeting while I'm on the call, you know? Um, but you really? know, we're, we're in the office basically from 8am to 8pm every night. Yeah. Yep. So if, if you've got a financial meeting and you get a call for 22 Mohawks, you're going to push the financial meeting. If it was a crisis call, I absolutely would. Wow. Yeah. If it was and, a call for a dog that I could reschedule, I would do that. Right. 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 So then how, what are you doing for you? That seems like that's a hell of a treadmill to be on, to be having to shift gears between school, a full-time job, and then literally having people's lives in your hands and being their sole, their single point of failure in their comms. How do you maintain some degree of, of equilibrium in all that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Like I, I compare it to like, you know, the veteran that like drinks all the time or like does drugs and shit. And like, that's what they do. But there's also like that third veteran that just like overworks themselves, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like as long as I'm doing that, doing something positive, making money or helping a vet or like reading a book or something, um, then I won't spiral out myself, you know? Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a tough conversation I have with myself daily, like, because you know, I'm getting older and like, I don't, I don't really have a schedule in like time for myself. Like I do one week a year and then that one week always turns into some type of fucking disaster. Anyways, it's like, ah, shit, I got to go on vacation. And then, right. Um, but like I have my hours during the day where I like go to the gym or run or, 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 you know, do something, but I've been able to manage it this far, but there's been times where I've been like, 
fucking towing the line, man. Like, oh shit. Like, I don't think I can take another thing today, you know? Um, but you, you know, you just get through it. You grind your teeth and fucking get through. Do you? Because it seems like, like a lot of your job is empathy. Like you're listening on the phone. You're trying to do active listening. You're trying to think ahead about what resources somebody would, would need. I mean, that's not like, that's not just like put your nose to the grindstone and push harder. That's like, I mean, that's, you know, do you find yourself emotionally drained often where it's like tough to then reconnect family, whatever, because you just kind of had to give it all on the phone to someone who's, if not a stranger, someone who you're, you're not as close with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm totally fucking drained all the time, (laughs) but I feel like that's kind of where I've come to the decision where like, I need to like cut, cut. Do I want to just go 22 Mohawks full time? And I think that's probably the decision I might end up making. Um, because I just find so much value and purpose in it myself, you know? Um, and I can always like dabble in the finance, you know, it, it pays well. I know the industry. Um, I can always do planning on the side, just at a very minimal level, you know? Um, but I feel like this is kind of where I should be. It it gives me purpose every day. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point about like empathy, like for me personally, like relationships are just like the worst. I like, it's like surface level. It's always good. But then when you like get down to the nitty gritty, there's always something like fucked up, you know? Um, I don't know if every, like other veterans are like that, but. What do you mean? Talk talk that through a bit more. What do you mean by that? Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, you know, like it's, it, it may not look like this from the outside, but like, cause like we're always around people. We're always talking to people, but realistically, like me personally, I'm not, I'm like a solo kind of person, right? Like you talked about like deploying by yourself. Like that's like more my style. Cause then I don't have to make decisions for other people. I can make them for me. And I know that they're the right decision, even if they end up not right. Like it's still the right decision and I can live with it. Um, but like, yeah, like when I'm, when I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it without like sounding fucked up, but like, um, oh. I, I like being alone. I like doing shit alone. Um, but I feel like how I feel when I'm feeling shitty, like getting a dog or like, I want to jump out of planes. Like when I'm feeling really shitty, the ideas that come to my head to make myself feel better. If I implement that into like, perfection i feel like it will help so many other people because i think a lot of people feel the same way i do or um they just don't know how to explain it kind of like i can't explain it right now i felt so shitty after i found out my buddy let the fucking world down but jump out of a plane like risky shit you know and i'm like well that's gonna make me feel better let's do it for other people and I'm um, sure enough, it's, it's, it's working. Um, do you think yeah. that's a model for everybody that the, the I mean, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, but I mean, do you think that's a model that I, I'm wondering if suicidal ideation, the amplification of PTS, all that stuff, I'm wondering how much that gets triggered by thinking about yourself as opposed to thinking about others. That when and isn't that kind of like at the core of having a dog, right? So there's something else to care about besides you, and that kind of lifts you out of your yeah. shit, right? Uh, I mean, do you th- how much do you think that that's a, a key part or even all of the mental health aspect when it comes to dealing with these kind of issues? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of reading and right, like this, uh, 
a man in general, like their purpose in life is to like take care of other people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, throwing that out there, right. Like take care of others, provide for others. So like if you have, um, you know, your dog that you can take care of and provide for, like it, it does give you purpose, right? It's like, you want to feed your dog. You want to take your dog out. Um, your dog becomes more than a dog. It's your family. Um, so yeah, I think like, I think that that's a huge aspect on for, for, for veterans, right. To kind of, um, find their purpose is, you know, service to others, right. Or service to your dog. Or I think that's like the best medicine to, you know, kind of combat like your feelings of shame and guilt and, and like moral injury. Um, just basically service to others, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about that too. The root causes. Cause I feel like, you know, when we get the numbers, it's kind of like when people talk about, and I'm putting air quotes here, gun violence. It's like, okay, well that could be anything. I mean, that could be like, you forgot to put, you know, a trigger guard on and you, you know, shot yourself in the leg, or that could be a gang shooting. Like those are wildly different root causes. But if you just label them as gun violence, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. Same thing. Um, I think when it comes to suicide prevention in the veteran community it's like well it depends who are we talking about somebody from the cold war era that you know has had a hard time in life and is now contemplating suicide or are we talking about somebody that just got out of off active duty or are we talking about somebody that's a combat vet like there's very different experiences and i'm not i'm not totally sold that it's all the same root causes but what's your what how do you guys look at it what's your takeaway i mean you're in that space so what do you see? Do you see similarities in the root causes or do you see very specific root causes for different demographics? In vet when it comes to that thing? Yeah, I, I forget who said it, but um, it, it'll come to me. But he said that the quote is, you know, combat, seeing combat isn't the reason why veterans come home and, and die by suicide. Um, the reason is because, you know, we reach the pinnacle of what you know, our life's purposes being a service member and going overseas. And then we come home to almost no purpose at all. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you go from the yeah. high of your life to absolutely like no purpose at all. And then you just kind of, you know, you, you make dumb choices because of that. And I think that that's what kind of like leads us into, you know, drinking and doing drugs and then just like the high risk activities, right. Uncalculated high risk activities. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of like my take on it. What, what about those, the, the, I mean, how often do you interact with people that aren't combat vets at all that even serve? Do you ever come across people that are cold war veterans or pre GWAT veterans that had very different experiences, but maybe had, you know, MST or military sexual trauma or anything like that? Like, do you see other stuff or, or is it mostly combat vets that you run into? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see, um, I see that. Um, I, I'm going to say that every female that we've kind of come in contact with has had some type of MST. Um, I, I'm sure there's probably a lot of males too that ha have had that, that just don't want to speak about it. But some of them will tell me, um, that they did have MST while in service, which, um, I was the, um, uh, the SARC in, in the army. Yeah, yeah. And, um, like I would sit in those classes and then I would go teach those classes and like in all male units, like, it wasn't weird or it wasn't like, um, um, like it, it, it happened, like sexual assaults happened a lot in, in all male units, but a lot of them were just like, Hey, we're fucking around with our buddies. This is the initiation, but it, it was pretty bad when you actually think about it. You know, um, do you ever, do you ever see stuff like that? I've heard about a lot of this stuff. I never really saw that, but what was your experience? Did you ever no, I, I actually didn't. 
I didn't see any of that. I mean, I heard stories of it, like from other units, yeah. but I, I never saw any of it. But, you know, I, I'm sure it happened and just, you know, people just didn't, or um, males just didn't want to speak, speak to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, it's so funny, man. You know, it's so many people's subjective experience. I, I don't know. I, I think there's certain things, you know, I've talked about this before, but I think there's certain subjects that people don't want to look into. And I think there's a lot of, well, fuck it. I'll be harsh in my assessment here. And you and I have talked about this, but there's a lot of grift in the nonprofit space, especially on subjects that people don't want to look into. And I think when you and I talked last, I think this scandal was about to break or had broken. Anyway, I don't, I don't think it had broken just yet, but we, you know, we had a big thing with uh, veteran homelessness here where it was a big fucking grift. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we had a nonprofit that was doing everything for all, all this stuff. And I'm putting air quotes around this for veteran homelessness. You know, the homeless shelter in Poughkeepsie near us said like their official statement to their knowledge, there were 18 homeless veterans in the entire Hudson Valley. There were houses being bought. Banks were giving loans to this organization. Like all these things were being moved. They're like, yeah, there's 18 of those guys and they're here at our shelter. And it was a big con where the the woman who was running the organization ended up going to a shelter, taking a bunch of people that weren't veterans, taking them out to a diner and coaching them on things to say and to tell the news that, um, that migrants had pushed them out of housing in a motel and, oh my God. and replaced them. And, and it, the only reason she got caught is because congressmen started taking up her cause and going, what the fuck? This is really fucked up. And then when they tried to get details, there were no details and they couldn't get a hold of her. And then finally, they are the ones that blew the whistle on it. We're like, wait, what the fuck? I went on record with this. And it was, but, but the thing that allowed her to get away with it was that who the fuck is going to look into veteran homelessness? If you go up there and you say, I'm here, I'm fighting veteran homelessness every day. I'm a nonprofit. I'm doing that. What receipts do you even know to ask for? Do you know the laws about that? Do you know the mechanics, the logistics involved? Probably not. And you don't want to learn them. You just want to go, hey, you're doing God's work. God bless. Let me throw some money at you. And I I feel good about myself. Right. And I think that's one of those things with like, um, I, I have you run into that in the veteran suicide space? Because there are a glut of organizations handling veteran suicide. And I feel like some of them make a lot of sense because they're handling either geographic areas or they built organically like yours did. But do you run into grift in your space or have you seen stuff where you're like, dude, I'm not sure you're really fucking doing that much. I think you're mostly just getting money. Have you come across that at all? I, yeah. I've had like gut feelings when I've, when I've met people like uh, the, the, the key eyebrow raisers, like when people are like, yeah, like, you know, we're not, we're not doing this for money. Like we're not looking for money. Like when people say that, like, that's their first thing. I'm like, I always raise an eyebrow. Um, oh. I, obviously I don't have any evidence, but like, I have a gut feeling when people are like out there selling t-shirts and shit. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's not to the extent where people are like, building houses and like fucking taking millions of dollars from like people to, you know, but, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, of like, you know, pickpocketing just to like, make a couple bucks which is like super super annoying. just like it's almost like the insurance industry like um life insurance industry it's like people give it such a bad name because there was some douchebags out there that just like sold life insurance you know yeah. to make tons of money it's like 
all, all these veteran nonprofits, like there's a ton of them that are doing such good work that just have a bad name because of yeah. like, these stuff. They're like trying to rip people off and just like make money on t-shirts or some shit. You know? Well, that's the, and here's where I'm going with it is what, what alarms me is I feel like there's a vested interest in not solving the 44 a day or the 22 a day or whatever, because, yeah. because it's like, well, you, if you're going to build an infrastructure around it and that's where you're getting, and I'm not saying you, I just mean one where one is getting their money, their prestige, they're moving up the ladder. I'm like, but what I worry about is the incentive structure that's being created when you have so many, like, it seems like so many folks, it's one of the reasons I have you on is that you're somebody that I know and can validate and have fidelity that you're doing what you're fucking say you're doing. And there's so many that I feel like I, they might all be righteous. And I, I, I'm just saying, I don't know. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. when you have 800 different organizations going, we're handling with vet- veteran suicide awareness, uh, veteran suicide prevention, PTS, all this. And I'm like, okay, but what's what's your incentive structure to cure it? Like, you know, if you're building this huge ecosystem where you're getting money, prestige, funding, um, WASA from this issue, what's the incentive to actually fix it? Because, you know, besides the fact that it's hard oh, yeah, to track, yeah. you know, and, and that's what I, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, tell me I'm crazy. I mean, is there any validity in what I'm worrying about? No, that's actually, yeah, it's super valid. It's, um, you're so right though. Right. It's like, let's, uh, let's, let's fix this problem. And then what well, we're out of work now. And now we have no like income coming in. Right. Um, is that kind of what you're saying? Basically. Right. Yeah. You're, yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're succeeding into obsolescence. It's like, okay, yeah. I'll be so good that then what it's like any, government bureaucracy like you know uh, what was was it that uh milton freeman said there's nothing so permanent so permanent as a temporary government solution it's like yeah. you know it, you know if yeah. you're going to create a, a bureaucracy for some problem set that you're never going to not have that bureaucracy the problem set that's may right. come go or whatever like that's you've just built an infrastructure that's not going to be torn down yeah yeah you create the problem so you can get funding for it so you can like yeah exactly and that's all I worry about is I'm like, because I hear so much about, you know, we all do, you know, I mean, I got, I've been hearing about 22 a day for easily over a decade. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, are they all the same root causes? Like, dude, I, I don't like, if we really wanted to fix it, we would fix it, but I don't think there's an it necessarily to fix. There's some commonalities. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, like I think the combat, the combat veterans that are at risk of suicide, it seems to me there's a lot of commonalities in why that is, um, you know, survivor guilt, you know, shame, what have you, but there, that's not the bulk of the people that are doing this. And instead it's like, well, why, what's the, what's really the root cause for it? And I'm not so sure that I, I don't know. I don't, I, I I'm just like, I want to see more receipts. You know what I mean? I'm like, show, show yeah. me more receipts. Like, wh- wh- what is it? What's the commonality that tells me that like a 50 something Cold War veteran is killing themselves and somebody that just got out of active duty army, never deployed overseas is killing themselves. Those are going to be two wildly different root causes. So what's, so then it's like, okay, so then what, what's the battle plan? Like, how do you, is there even, is there even a way to deal with that? Because you have to self identify like, I mean, I don't know. I'm throwing out a bunch of ideas and all that. But talk me through that. What's your experience been in being in this space and sorting through that? What do you see? 
What commonalities do you see that are driving people in our community to do this? And do you think it's just a subsection of a greater population that's dealing with mental health crises? Or do you think there really is an epidemic that's particular to veterans that you see? Yeah. I mean, like if you think back to like World War II and those guys, like suicide happened, right? Um, I, I spoke to a group of some like Korean guys and World War II guys. And, and I asked them, I said, um, when you guys got out, um, what, what kind of meds did they give you? Like, did they give uh, you men, like mental health meds or whatever? And they were like, no, they told us to fucking get a job and they slapped us on our ass, you know? Yeah. Um, so like there was like almost no medications back then. Whereas like now, I mean, I could fucking walk into the VA yeah, yeah. and be like, Hey, can you up my dose on this shit? And they're more than happy to do it. You know, it's like, yeah. I have nightmares, you know, give me metrazepine or what, right. It's like, yeah. throw meds, throw meds at them right now. That's a quadrillion dollar fucking industry too. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, do you, so do like we now, know what the suicide rates were after world war two? Do we know that that was better to slap them on the ass and tell them to get a job? Is there proof yeah. of that? Um, I, I think so. I, I read it somewhere. I'll take a look and see if I can find the article that I read about that, um, about like the numbers of, of suicide and, and back in those days. I mean, it was, it was still, it wasn't like super, super low. Like it was still there, but it was when there was, when world war two was happening, there was like no suicides, none. Yeah. And then yeah. once the war ended, suicides skyrocketed. Right. So it was almost like men's purpose was to go and like be a man, be a warrior and like fight. That's their purpose. And then when they got out, there's no more war. There's no more like warriors. You know, they, they die by suicide. Right. Um, so take their purpose away. Super, super fucking interesting article. I, That's I'm really interesting. You know, there's funny. There's fine. I'm going to digress for a second, but I feel like you're the right person to digress with on this. Um, there's, there's that concept in politics of the moral equivalent of war um, where there's a uh, where politicians try to make something an issue, the moral equivalent of war, because they know that in war, we unify, everybody gets a sense of purpose. There's a lot of eustress, positive eustress that happens. Um, yeah. That's a good motivating unifying feature. So as a result, uh, you know, climate change is a lot of people argue that with a moral with the moral clause for war, uh, like moral equivalent of war, um, homelessness, you know, um, famine, whatever, you know, humanitarian issues. Um, but it's often done with that same language to replicate the moral equivalence of war. Um, it's funny. One of the few things that doesn't get the moral equivalence of war in today's day and age is actual war. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's like there. It's like, oh no, take to the streets and protest. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, but that actually is war. That that that's actually the thing you're supposed to get fired up about. But there is something in our psyche, and I think especially for men, we need a noble cause, don't we? Yes, something to fucking. We need something that we feel like is a worthwhile use of our energy to actually go to the mats. Yep, yep. And I think the first time we spoke, you brought up. Uh, <clears throat> you know, females, right? And, yeah. You know, what do you think, um, you know, impressing a female has to do with like, you want to be in the military and be a warrior. Yeah. yeah. That's something too, man. I mean, that's something to dive into, right? Like the whole want to you show the women that you're, you're the man, right? You're the one, you're the warrior. I don't know. Let's look at that through the other end of the telescope. Do you think, do you think there's anything to that, to impressing women or relations with women? I mean, outside of something, you know, 
relationship catastrophic, like divorce or something like that. But do you think there's something about failing to have impressed women or failing to feel like you're worthy of a good woman that does lead and play into veteran suicide? Big time. Really? Really? Yeah. Big time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the the key, like, um, you know, key indicators of it is like, um, suicide ideation is like relationship. Like you, like your, your wife cheats on you or something right now. It's like, you've taken away, you know, who I am as a man. Like it was, I not good enough for you kind of, kind of mentality. You know, I definitely do believe that there is some truth to that. How does that play into the warfighter mentality? Um, do you think that hits harder if you were not a combat veteran and you're like, shit, I didn't get tested. So there's some insecurity about that. Or do you think it plays in harder if you are a combat veteran and it's like, Hey, I already did X, Y, and Z and get your going to somebody that hasn't done a quarter of what I've done. Like, do you think that at all plays? I mean, I've talked to so many veterans that like didn't see combat or, or, or even were combat arms and didn't deploy to see combat. Yeah. And just like, Hey, like, I don't deserve like any benefits. Like I don't even, you shouldn't even give me a dog or, um, you know, I, I I shouldn't, I shouldn't go to the VA to get rated because like, I'm not worthy of it. Um, and the thing is, it's like, well, you know, you, you stood up like the other 90% of the, or 90% of the country didn't, you know? So that's got to count for something. Um, and I feel like a lot of us just like, we, we never feel good enough unless we're like, if we've done it all, you know, there's always going to be someone that's done more or, you know, done something more savage than you or lifted heavier weight than you or rainbow miles. Like there's always going to be someone out there. Um, it, and it's, it's like, we just beat ourselves up about it. You, you know? know, absolutely. It's so funny. I was just listening to, uh, uh, my acquaintance who's been on the show, Tom Satterley. Um, you know, he was on Sean Ryan's show recently and he was talking about, his whole career in Delta and he did 20 years in Delta he did 25 total in the army. And he said every day that he showed up at the compound at Bragg, he wasn't sure if like, he was always relieved when he actually swiped at the gate and it still blinked green to let him in. Like he was yeah. always like, I'm, I don't belong here. I, at some point I'm going to get found out and I'm not as good as the rest of these guys. And it's like, it doesn't matter who the fuck you are. Everybody feels like an imposter. <laughs> at some point uh, and maybe even often in the military it's like there's always somebody who you can point to and go well yeah i might be okay but that guy's much better yeah this, you yeah. know and it's done this much more it's just it's an it's a human thing and it That's might even fucking... be a constructive thing it might motivate you to yeah. do greater but you know yeah i feel like that's that, that like quintessential fucking a-type personality like fuck i'm not good enough i gotta i don't know i gotta maybe it motivates me to work harder um but I feel like they, that's the place you want to be. It's like, yeah, yeah. Am, I, am I good enough to be here? Like, I'm here. I got to fucking man up and do everything I can to stay here. Yeah. I'm in the right spot. I mean, I'm somewhere special. I feel like a lot of people don't, when they go somewhere that's like a really good place in their lives, they don't stop and realize that there's someplace special. Um, and if they realize that, I feel like we would just do so much better, if that makes any sense at all. you know? No, I, no that does make a lot of sense. I, that's absolutely true. Um, it's interesting, the value of insecurity, you know, it's like sometimes the things you fear most in life are the things that make that push you to greatness. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a, yeah. So, you know, and it's funny, it's funny because like, um, growing up, like, so my mother was an alcoholic and, and growing up, like, I just never felt validated by her. 
like ever. Like I would like do good on a math test or some shit and should be like, whatever. Like she wouldn't, I just never felt validated. Um, so like my whole life, I've always like tried to like validate myself, you know, like, well, that fucking wasn't good enough. Like I can do better now. And it was almost like when I think back, I laugh cause it's it, that kind of like, she was a shitty mom, but it, the, it sent me in a, a positive direction in a sense, you know? So I, I wasn't, uh, we're, we're going to get back to everything 22 Mohawks related, but I, I can't let this go because um, I don't know why when you first sent me the poem, which was really a letter to your mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I it didn't like I I can't remember what I thought or when I read it or if somehow I breezed past it. I don't know. But now putting together a Savage Wonderground show, I was like, I read it, and I was like, God damn. I was like, I don't first off, I don't think Dave and I talked about this. And second off, I was like, man, that fucking hits hard. Um have you written more about her? Like, do you feel like you're at peace with that? Have you spilled all your thoughts on that out somewhere? Or is that a work in progress still? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a work in progress for sure. For sure. I'll probably need a fucking brain transplant from that one, Chris. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, it makes sense, of course. Um, I um I wrote that the day after Mother's Day, I think. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking send this to Chris, see what he thinks. <laughs> it, it's yeah. fucking powerful, man. I mean, it's it's and and it's interesting because it's one of those relationships, I mean, and, and one of those twists on a relationship that I don't think a lot of people write about, think about, talk about. And yeah, I mean, where are you at right now with it? How do you, I mean, do you look at it as ultimately a positive that it's made you toughened up to some degree or excelled because of it? Or do you look at it like, if I could have changed it, I would have. Yeah. I I think that, um, because of the way I felt like growing up, like never feeling like I was good enough in her eyes that I always felt like I needed to just continue to do more, um, better stuff, right. Like get a degree or run faster or something. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I think that there was like a good amount of like positive outcomes from that. But then I'm like, I'm very lucky that I, I, like took that path because it could have went the complete opposite direction. Yeah. yeah. You know, easily. Right. Especially because she was an alcoholic. Um, as like before I was even 21, I drank a lot. And then I just kind of like did I don't really drink that much um anymore. So it's like I do think it could have went that direction. Um, but I was fortunate that it went a, a good direction. Uh, I'm gonna ask you something which I guess like any question you feel free not to answer, but how much does that relationship you had play into the reason why you're still here and why you didn't ever follow through on any suicidal ideation? Um, I, I didn't want to, I guess like up into this point, I didn't want to like let anyone down, you know, I feel like, and then like with John dying, I felt like I let him down. Like that's my major guilt is that I, I don't ever want to like, have someone ever say, you know, you let me down in this area, man. Um, it's like a, a major fear of mine. So I think that, um, I think if I was, would to give up, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I don't want to give up on anyone because I don't want to let people down. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's kind of what, what that led me to, to now. Right. That's um, actually, you should, you should lead all of your grants with that. I mean, that, that's like what you want to hear from a nonprofit leader. 
Like, right. I mean, that's like the definition of like somebody you would trust with your money. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a, a really good. I didn't even actually think of that, but yeah. I mean, I can't think of better a better way to put it. Like, my God, that's what you want. Somebody that's like, whose number one fear is letting people down. Um, Legit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, God, what what better proof do you want of their their fidelity? When you look at um, your life now, and, it is, and I'm saying this as uh, looking at somebody who you know is task saturated, shifting gears between all these things, um, and again. As always, you have the right not to answer. But to me, it's noteworthy that you and Stacy got engaged on the jump. And it seems like, you know, we, you and I have talked before about women and their role in a, a man's life. I mean, how much has that cemented, has a good woman and a good marriage cemented your life? Like, what is that? What's, what's the lesson that people can learn from that? Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, we have problems just like everybody, every relationship, right? Um, and she's a tough cookie. I mean, she's been through some stuff herself, like her dad died by suicide. Um, you know, she's, she's been through a lot of trauma growing up and, um, you know, there are times where I'm like, I don't even know why you stay with me. And she's just, conti- even when we're in the worst moment ever, like within our relationship, mm. she puts that aside and will always say good things about me and always support me no matter what, which I think. It, I, when I, when I say it out loud and I, and I think about it, it's like, it makes me happy to know that even if I'm like a fucking asshole to her, she'll still like support me and say good things about me. You know, even when she, she probably shouldn't. Um, so having somebody like that on your side, um, is, is I, I'm very, I've been very lucky in my life with that sense for sure, but she's an awesome woman. Do you want to impress her? Is she the woman you want to impress now? Like, is that still a thing for you? Oh yeah, of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Especially cause she's like my, well, I'll, I'll say I'm her right hand here. So, uh, but yeah, like I, I, again, like I, I don't want to let her down within the organization. I don't want to let her down within our relationship. Um, and, um, just like if, if I'm going to impress anyone, I definitely want it to be Stacy. How much do you think that's a worthwhile trait for people to have like that? Cause I, obviously there's a, a fine line between people pleasing and not letting people down. But if it does veer more towards just not letting people down, I mean, it's kind of doubles back to what we were talking about with taking responsibility, whether for a dog, a family, something outside of yourself. Do you think that's a worthwhile trait to inculcate in in the veteran community that like, hey, just like you wouldn't disappoint your battle buddy, if you're going to be in the same foxhole, whatever that foxhole is, don't fucking disappoint them. Yeah, I think something very important to note about that is that like how about let's reframe it to don't let yourself down, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's like so many people, or what do they say? Like, you know, there's so many people that care about you. You don't want to die by suicide. There's so many people out there, but it's like, don't, don't kill yourself for other people. You know, don't kill yourself for you. You know what I mean? Because you you know, you have so much impact. Um, If you just like think about, Think it's okay to think about yourself, right, and the value that you bring, and that's that's kind of where that question led me, right? Like, just try don't yeah. let yourself down is probably the most important thing to do. Try impress yourself, you know, because at the end of the day, you got to go to sleep with your own thoughts, right? Um, so that's kind of how I think about that. No, the, I mean that's definitely fair. I wonder if 
and I, I wanted to, I definitely want to talk with you. One of the notes I had here was I want to talk to Dave about shame because I feel like shame keeps coming up over and over in the veteran community about as a driver for either a, a, a cause or an effect of PTS and as a driver of veteran suicide. Um, and I'm saying that in the context of what you're talking about, like valuing yourself. I feel like for a lot of veterans, like I remember, I remember there's a, a, a make, I'll take the scenic route to make my point here. There was a buddy of mine that was going to apply for a, um, a, a tier one unit and, and they sent him a huge site, uh, uh, in doc packet of stuff to fill out before he did anything else. And he looked at me, he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to this unit. I was like, why not? He's like, he's like, I'm not answering these questions. It's like yeah. they're asking me like how many times a week I masturbate. Like I'm, I'm not gonna fucking like what? And and, yeah. and, it, yeah. and it suddenly hit me. I was like, you know, one of the things with with that insecurity where we, none of us feel like we're good as good as anybody else, and there's always all these people that are better, and we all have this degree of imposter syndrome. Yeah, with that is a bit of shame, and I wonder if when we say, hey, you know, don't hurt yourself because of yourself, where a lot of us go, yeah, but I'm not worth it. You know, because it's like because we're looking and going, hey, I, I'm I'm not fucking worth it. Somebody else might be because I think everybody's, you know, we all have that part of us. It's like, well, that dog at least is fucking innocent as can be, and you know, my yeah. kid never did anything wrong and doesn't deserve this. But it's like, oh, me? Well, yeah, I'm I'm fucking evil, man. Like you know, like yeah. there's, there's a part of us that kind of degrades ourselves. How what's what's your take been on handling shame with the calls that you get with your mindset, like? What's the cure for that? What's the answer to reverse that? I, you know, it's like, I, man, a couple months back, I got a call from this guy. Um, and he was, um, he was in a, a, a tier, a tier one unit and he was on a patrol and he got, they took fire from a village in Afghanistan and his, his best friend, the kid he'd been training with forever got hit in the throat and he went down and, um, you know, he, he was providing aid and his buddy was just like, just go kill all those motherfuckers right before he died in his arms. That's literally what he told them. Um, and they were, they were on a three man team, I believe. And then they were like tasked with the air force and, um, they, you know, they went into the, the village and they, um, they off the village and uh, I'll keep the details minimum, but they killed everybody in the village. And this guy's on the phone with me and he's hysterically crying, you know, basically just saying that, um, you know, he's not, He's not in good shape. Um, he can't sleep. And this is the reason why, um, because he has the shame for what he did to people who, you know, were most likely innocent, you know? And uh, I mean, that is like, like the deepest shame I think you could probably ever feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then personally for me, I felt shame just from, from losing my friend, John to suicide. It was like the kid was with me. Um, I call him a kid. He was a grown man, but he was with me for, you know, a good 18 months, right-hand man. And then when I left service, I just like never reached back out to him. And then he ended up, you know, taking his own life. And that was just like extreme shame for me. It's like, wow, I, I, I feel like I could have done something, you know, and that kind of, I mean, that motivated me to, you know, fucking put a mohawk into my head, you know, Yeah, right. right. has kind of led me to this. Um, but I mean, I think, I think shame can motivate and shame can also kill you. What do you do? What, 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 how do you reverse the shame? How do you reverse? I mean, 
with your tier one guy and, and that experience, I mean, what advice do you give? Like how, what are you, in your experience, what's the best ways to try to mitigate shame? I told John's mother that whole story on what happened. And um, she didn't talk to me for a while. She like unfriended me on social media after I told her that story. Wow. And, um, and then after the fact, she, she refriended me and called me and said that. And she's like, John's, because of John's death, you've managed to help so many other people. And that, that, it, it, she said that it basically meant so much to her. Um, so but like my response to, you know, kind of combating shame is, is, you know, service to others. Like, I can't preach it enough. Like I, I'm not on my high horse here. Like I, I've been fortunate with the decisions that I've made where it puts me where I am, but helping veterans, right? Like our people, like I consider all vets, like our people, I don't care what background you're from, you know, whatever, like you're one of our people service to our people and just like help vets when they're down. I mean, obviously like there's a, a level of responsibility you have to take for yourself. Um, but you know, helping out veterans and, and being involved in the community has, has definitely, um, you know, cooled down the, the feeling of shame, shame that I have, you know, but then, you, then I, then again, I, I fucking tell the story all the time and it's just like, it sucks. Yeah. Well, it does, but, it, but you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure many people would do things that are worthwhile if they hadn't been through trauma. I feel yeah. like trauma just inherently has to either level up or you level out, you know? It's like you don't have a choice, yeah. you know. Right. Exactly. Um, talk about are you res, are you opening up more for first responders now as well? Yeah. So we on this last jump, um, we had our first first responder. He was the son of an army veteran that had jumped with us um, last class, and the one prior to this last one. Um, and he asked if he could bring his son, who was a firefighter in New York. I think he's actually up in your neck of the woods. I no, can't, I can't you know, he's, he's part of my Legion post, Pete. Yeah, he met we, he met you at the uh, festival at Savage Wonder. Oh, he yeah, came yeah. Out to the festival. Yeah, no, he just yeah. talked to me the other day. He was like glowing from the jump still. He's like, oh, man, I just saw Dave down there at 22 Mohawks. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just a great time. I didn't know he brought his kids with him, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he brought his son and he brought, uh, he brought both the sons. One of his sons is an army vet and his other son's a, uh, a firefighter up there. And um, it was like, it was all these vets and then him and it was, it was just super impactful. Great. And he's going to like bring our flag to his um, firehouse and like take, take pictures and stuff. And we're going to, we're going to starting January one, we're going to open everything up to um, first responders, police, um, paramedics, like um, 911 dispatchers, like all those, all those groups are going to be, um, we're going to open it up to all of them. And I think that it will be super impactful, super valuable and um, a lot of work. But um, I think that they they fall in line with that, too. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of always have had it opened um, to it. We just didn't market it because we wanted to kind of focus on the veteran side of the house. But, yeah, yeah, we're going with fresh responders and stuff now. So from an Instagram perspective, with all the caveats that entails, is, that be, is there a part of it, the business model, where it's like, look, the wars have wound down. We're going to be getting further and further away from kind of the end of the GWAT, essentially. Yeah. Um, and like, hey, but the first responders are actually still dealing with live rounds. They're still going out and actually yeah. doing stuff. Is, is that part of the thinking, too? Yep, definitely. Definitely. 100%. Okay. 100%. They see it every day. Uh, one of yeah. my good friends, Mike, um, is a, a police officer down in Cape Cod. 
And he, I mean, he's told me stories that like probably most combat veterans haven't seen, like right. just disastrous right. shit. And it's like, we got to take, we got to, if we can take care of these guys as well, we, we definitely should, you know? So yeah, they're in the, they're in the trenches every single day. No, absolutely. Um, and that is, that's an important expansion, I think. For you, where do you see 22 Mohawks going in the near future? I mean, now you've got the new headquarters, you're bringing yoga in, you've got, you know, kind of these natural expansions that kind of seem to happen organically with your mission. Do you feel like you've pushed out the boundaries as far as you need to for right now? Or are there other things you're like, and about a year, I think we're going to probably need to do X, Y, and Z. No, no, we're, um, so we're starting in November, we're um, going to be launching our mental health, um, in-house treatment, um, where it's all, you know, confidential stuff. So we have three uh, mental health coaches that are going to come in and kind of design that whole platform for us, um, which is going to really help, um, you know, with vets because they don't, a lot of vets don't want to go speak to anyone because they don't want it to go in their medical records. They don't want their guns yeah. to be taken yeah. away kind of deal. Right. Um, so we're going to open that up as c- completely confidential. Um, and then we starting November 17th, we are sending, um, six people to, um, crisis incident stress management school. Um, oh. so they're going to get their SISM certs and then we're going to create a local team and a team in Missouri. And, um, and we're going to send all those people on that same um, team to the SISM instructor course, and we're going to start to teach SISM in the local communities. Holy criminy. Uh, Whoa. Oh, yeah. First of all, why Missouri? Where did that come from? So uh, one of our good good supporters, um, and our, basically our number one ambassador, uh, Tom Ettinger, he runs uh, SITREP22, former Marine. Um, he's been like together with us for a while. We're actually doing an app together. Um, he is gonna he's gonna spearhead the SISM team in Missouri. That's where he lives. Um, okay. So he's gonna start it down there as well. So wait, he's got his own is it a nonprofit, Sit Rep Twenty Two. It's a nonprofit. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yep. What what's the relationship? I mean, so that's an interesting issue in the nonprofit space. So where what's the chain of command then for that? Or or is it just a, a joint venture or is there gonna yep. be Okay. Yep. Yep. Just joint stuff. Um, we do ba- basically he runs sit rep 22 does his podcast, um, down there. And then just, uh, we just kind of piggyback on him and he piggybacks on us and he like promotes for us and we promote for him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're wow. just trying to kind of get the word out there that we're both available in both States and, you know, hopefully, you know, help out some vets. So now wh- how big is your team? to put all this together. That's a lot of different lines of effort and a lot of moving pieces to get all that going. What, what, how big is your team right now? So our core team is basically six people. Uh, we have our mental health crew. We have our dog acquisition crew. Um, and then we have me and Stacy. So it's basically six, six core people. Um, and then we have like our paid dog trainers, um, our admin, and then um, our mental health team. I think did I say mental health team? Yeah. So the ad, and it's two admin people, and then how big is your mental health team? Three, we have three people on the mental health team. Okay, three. But it's it's solely the medical director's Tara. Um, she's a Harvard grad. Um, she works for the suicide prevention team in one of the the bigger high schools in Massachusetts. Um, 
yeah. and are these people all on call basically in case there's something they need to address or are they like showing up regular office hours type thing? Yep. So they all do one day per month all day in the okay. office and then they are, um, they're on call essentially. So like if I get a crisis call from someone or like a, you know, I'll call it like a bro therapy call, right. Where someone's calling, not suicidal, but you know, needs to chat. Um, I create like a log and a list and then I'll send it to Tara and then Tara and I will kind of discuss the call. to kind of decide whether or not the person needs like a deeper, um, like consultation or, or, or see a clinician, you know, and then we just make sure we stay in touch with them and follow up with them. Um, Dave, before I let you go, let's talk about everything people should know. So you got your BFIT challenge coming up. Uh, tell everybody about that. What do, what do we need to know about BFIT? Yep. Uh, BFIT challenge is a one day event in a five day virtual, one day in-person event, five day virtual event. And it's going to be the in-person event is held at the TD garden in Boston. Wow. And you bring in, so we're one of the charities that have been selected to basically receive, you know, some of the funding that, that BFIT, the Boston Bruins foundation gets. Um, so what we do is, is, we create teams. Those teams create money um, with the virtual event. And then on the day of the event, these teams come in and they climb all the stairs in the Boston Garden. Huh. Um, and while we're there, like we bring in vendors. So we'll bring in like all the fellow nonprofits that we know that are veteran focused, um, like the Vet Center in Boston, um, Hidden Battles, like all these local groups. And um, we also, one of the new things we're doing to fundraise is um, Dan, my buddy, Dan, who runs a barbershop down the street from my house is going to come in and do Mohawks on center ice at oh, the wow. that day. Um, so essentially like raffling off Mohawks on center ice that day, um, which is really cool. We're actually trying to get one of the Boston Bruins to get one too, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> essentially you, you register, um, you can go on our, our website and register. And then you just on the drop down, you just click team 22 Mohawks and, um, the requirement is 300 bucks per person. So you join a team and essentially your goal is to raise 300 bucks throughout the month of January and February. And, and um, you said something before the show that I want to double tap because I think it's important for people to know. What does this BFIT challenge mean for you guys? This isn't just like a casual, hey, yeah, we're doing this. We had an opportunity to do it. This is like a major centerpiece of your fundraising, right? Yeah. So this event actually funded our entire Pups for Vets program last year. Wow. Um, yeah, so we were able to raise enough money to really um, fund this year's dog program, which was extremely, extremely um, helpful, right? Yeah. Um, so we want to, we would like to do the same thing again so we can fund it again for next year. So the more people we have on the teams, the more people that raise, you know, a couple hundred bucks, um, obviously the, the quicker we'll get there and we'll know that we can run it next year, run the dog program next year. Uh, addition to that. Where, how do people need to be following you? Where do they need to go for more information? Yep. So you can go to 22mohawks.com. Um, you can go to our Instagram, 22mohawks, our Facebook page, 22mohawks, um, or the 22mohawks family page um, has a lot of good information too. But um, if you go on our website, you can register for the emails, you can register for all our events, um, and you can stay in the know. And then you could be confused like me and go, wait, there's a 22mohawks 6, there's a 22mohawks 7. I'm like, wait, That's oh, right. wait, which one am I <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it's great to see the organization just grow and grow and grow. And, um, dude, I'm so impressed with how this has been exponentially, you know, getting bigger and broader and more impactful year over year. 
And, um, you know, congrats on that, man. And uh, can't wait to see you at the end of the month. Yeah, man. I appreciate it very much, Chris. This is awesome as always. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you at the end of the month, too. That's going to be uh, an amazing event. It's going to be it so will. sick. It will. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I can't wait for that. And um, as always, man, love hearing what you're up to. And uh, this was a blast. Same, Chris. Appreciate it very much. That was Dave Camposano's profile in Havoc. Oh, man. Love talking with Dave. Um, such a good dude. I feel like um, sometimes we're... I, I don't think anybody would describe us as mirror images of each other, but there are a lot of similarities. I feel like we're both task-saturated and both deeply committed to our nonprofits and probably to distraction. Anyway, um, let me get into some of the nitty-gritty. If you liked what Dave had to say or you're intrigued by what he had to say, you want to learn more about 22 Mohawks, he gave you all the sites to go to. You definitely should be following them on Instagram. Um, but you can also meet them in person if you happen to be in Boston on Halloween. So here's the deal. Here's what happened. We're putting together a crazy, crazy, crazy immersive art event on Halloween. It started. Okay. You guys want the latest? Do we know each other well enough for me to be honest with you? Let me be honest with you. Here's what happened. So, it all started with Ben Fortier and Nick F. Stathew, who've both been on the show. Both writers who write have a knack for writing really jarring, shocking, cool, but scary stuff in their poetry and in their stories. Um, and Nick, really, it's more just all stories. But anyway, um, and I was like, man, this stuff's really cool, but I don't really have a place to feature it because that's a pretty strong shot of Smirnoff in the morning to put that on the Savage Wonder blog that we have or, or in any of the normal platforms that VetRep has. But I was like, you know, we could do an immersive art show in Boston. We've you know done Savage Wonderground in D.C. twice. So I was like, maybe if we moved it to Boston next time. And that would give Nick and Ben a chance to do their stuff on Halloween when it couldn't be more appropriate. And then I always think, when I think of Boston, I think of Iman and Dave, because Nick actually is in New Hampshire, Ben's in Rhode Island. So I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of like a New England show. And then Amy Sexauer made the tactical mistake of moving to Boston. And I was like, okay, that's it. If Amy's there, now we have to do a show in Boston. So... That's who's coming together. Dex will be there doing live painting. I don't think people realize how awesome a painter she is. Ben will also be playing music. You might see his riffs of the day on his Instagram. So he'll be there doing some music as well. So it'll be a totally immersive, awesome event. It's going to be about half block from the Boston Commons at a private site that I cannot tell you. You got to RSVP to find out where it is because I don't want you bothering people. It's a private place. But it's a badass place. I mean, badass location. Three stories. There's even a stage inside. But we're, we're going to use the stage, but we're also going to use the rest of the house. Because it's just awesome. So, RSVP um, at SavageWonder.com. SavageWonder, all one word, dot com. SavageWonder.com. And you can RSVP. Now, here's the part that i got to be honest with you about. So, we had to do a major programming shift our buddy Nick F. Stathew at the last minute like literally yesterday 
told me he wasn't going to be able to make the show. And I was like, oh, fuck. Because basically we predicated the whole show around his short stories, which are these, if you don't know his site across Massachusetts, you really should be reading it. It's got these very cool period horror stories. And we we're going to juxtapose those with everybody else's poetry and stories. And it was like going to be this really cool amalgamation. So Nick just told me he can't do the show, uh, which is, you know, it happens, uh, you know, um, and it's kind of like, I kind of, these it's days like today that I feel like I'm in the UFC, not as a fighter, but like as Dana White, you know, where it's like your card has to radically change at the last minute. And it's like, oh, okay. We just lost the main event. So what are we going to do? Um, and we got a bunch of ideas. I'm not going to spoil it yet, but there's some cool possibilities. Um, you know, we can roll with any kind of punch, uh, and, and certainly for a dude like Nick, uh, it's, 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 you know, happy to make the pivot. Um, but so now it's becoming this other cool entity and you want to know something else? I haven't even gotten the guys, their scripts yet. <laughs> Still everybody a script because we, now we got to rewrite the whole show. Um, but it'll be a good problem to have. It's going to be a lot of creative destruction. And um, I know it will result in something really shocking and awesome and unforgettable. And by the way, at the end of the show, the show should go about an hour. But at the end of that, Iman Cafell is going to launch his book, The Resolute Path, courtesy of our sponsor, Second Mission Foundation, which you all know about because you heard about them at the top of the show. So um, just a very, very, very cool night. So if you're in New England, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, even many parts of New York or New Jersey, come on up. Come on up. Just RSVP. We'll put you on the list. We are keeping RSVPs pretty small because it's a very cool space, but it's not big. So um, RSVP and uh, you get an open bar, no cover. We're going to shake you down for donations. I'll tell you that. But, um, But no cover, finger foods. Parking's a breeze, um, and you get to see an awesome, badass Halloween show, and then you get to stick around for Iman's book launch. Oh, there is one big thing that you should know. Um, don't come as you are. Come, if you're a man, got to come with a jacket, or for ladies, business attire, or for ladies or men, got to come in costume. Those are your options. So. Bear that in mind. Um, it's a classy little event, uh, but it'll be a great time to come out and hang out and uh, have some good food, good drink, and watch a badass show and then celebrate with some awesome veteran artists and their books. And, uh, and Second Mission will be there. So that's it. That's it on Halloween, guys. Come check it out. Okay. I don't have anything else to talk about uh, for right now. Because uh, that was long-winded enough, but go to savagewonder.com, savagewonder.com. That's all one word, savagewonder.com, and RSVP as soon as you can. All right, I need to thank Mike Neal for putting this episode together. Um, everybody, congratulate Mike Neal for coming back from his honeymoon in one piece. Well done, Mike. Glad to have you back. And uh, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Dave Camposano, and on behalf of everybody at Havoc Journal. See you next time for another Profile in Havoc.